Hello and welcome to Rinse and Repeat. I'm Carol Escaros. The situation seemed hopeless. Children were very sick. There were very few doctors, no hospital whatsoever for miles, and there was seemingly no solution. Missionary Amy Carmichael had seen God work in this particular region in India, and most recently she had seen God work by raising up a leader for the boys' portion of the orphanage there in India. So as she had done with nearly everything else in ministry, Amy turned to the Lord for this urgent need they had for a hospital. As early as 1921, she stood with a few friends overlooking the plain, seeking the Lord at the time of sunset, just really wondering what God had for the next phase of ministry, and especially with this issue of the hospital. And she wrote of that time, she said, We thought of the people in the scattered villages and towns and of their need of skilled and loving succor. We asked for a place of healing for the people and for a doctor to lead our boys and girls out into this loving service. See, at the time, the only hospitals were about two days' journey away, but even with the advent of motor vehicles, that time had been shortened significantly, but still, it was too far away to save lives. So Amy sought the Lord, and she sought Him, but she battled with something. She debated back and forth as to whether or not to ask God to give her the gift of healing because the need was so great. She was really wrestling with whether or not to ask God to give her the gift of healing because she didn't want people to be drawn to the ministry for the wrong reasons. She didn't want people to flock to her personally. She didn't want to be in the limelight, and she didn't want people to come because they were seeking God for the wrong reasons. And then God did what only God can do. He granted her the gift of healing and he granted it to her in a specific way for a very specific period of time. Several of the workers on her compound and children received pain relief by the laying on of Amy Carmichael's hands for a brief period of time. And then as quickly as God brought it to her, he saw fit to take it away right when a large donation came in for the beginning of the building of a hospital and as he was raising up doctors to come and help with the medical needs of the children there in that area of southern India. What is the point of this female missionary's biography here on this episode of Rinse and Repeat? See, God heard Amy's prayers and the cries of his people then, and he met that need, those prayers, his way, his time then, and he does it now, here, today. The moral of the story, ultimately and always, to all who are listening to me right now, is there anything too hard for God? Is there? Let me ask you the question another way. Do we essentially limit God's power with our unbelief? 
with our prayerlessness, which really isn't just about being busy. Sometimes our faithlessness is what leads us not to pray the way Amy prayed, right? She prayed about everything, and she prayed with expectation. I wouldn't even think to go to God to ask Him for the gift of healing, and I probably wouldn't think of it because we do have hospitals and doctors. God has seen fit to give us so many great things right here at our fingertips, but do we think things are too hard for God? Do we limit his power because we want to do things and lean on our own understanding? Are we busy putting God in a proverbial box? If I'm going to sum up the lesson that we're about to get on the great woman Sarah in the Old Testament, it's with that question. Is there anything too hard for God. Sarah's story is so incredible. We're not going to be able to cover it in one podcast. It will be two. So the first podcast today will be lessons on her walk from unbelief to the beginning of belief, from making maybe wrong choices based on wrong thinking. That's today's episode. And then the next episode is going to be on her walk of obedience, the beauty of obedience next time. But for now, I want us to keep in the back of our mind the amazing words of Isaiah the prophet. He wrote in Isaiah 51 verses 1 and 2, he writes, Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you. In other words, Isaiah is saying God wants us to look closely at the life of Sarah for examples of what to do and, in some instances, what not to do. Abraham and Sarah serve as an incredible example to us in the walk of faith. So to begin, Sarah's name, as many of you know, means princess. Sarah means princess. And turn with me, if you would, to begin Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 6. Genesis 16, verses 1 through 6. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I give my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now we're going to pause right there because we will explore closely the life of Hagar in a few weeks. So we're not going to really look at Hagar's life yet, but I want you to notice in particular Sarai's words in verse two. That's what we're going to look at to start here. We're going to look at a lot of aspects of Sarah's life, but right here, just verse two, 
See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. See, God had given a promise to Abraham in Genesis 15. God had promised that Abraham would bear a son, but it's already been a decade since that promise had been given. So Sarah is getting understandably impatient here. She's probably thinking, all right, this is taking way too long. Maybe we didn't hear God correctly. Maybe I'm too old. Maybe it's too late. Listen, I don't know about you, but I get impatient waiting more than, you know, three minutes at a fast food drive through much less 10 years for the fulfillment of a promise. But I want you to notice a very important pattern that has developed here that really holds true throughout the scriptures and in our own lives. See, the circumstances of Sarah's situation influences her thinking, which then in turn has an impact on her actions. It is essentially a textbook situation, okay? I'm going to say that again. It begins with a hard or tempting set of circumstances, okay? Temptation or hard circumstances, which can lead to wrong thinking, which then in turn results in wrong actions. Notice Sarah carefully. I have not conceived a child for the past 10 years. That's her difficult circumstance, okay? She is barren for 10 years. That's the hard circumstance. So Sarah's thinking, if that's the case, then God must be withholding it from me. God has kept me from having children. God is withholding children from me, which is ultimately wrong thinking, right? God holding out on you is wrong thinking, Sarah. God's timing, not being our timing, does not mean God said no. God is just saying not yet, all right? So Sarah is going from a difficult set of circumstances to difficult or incorrect thinking, and that then leads her to, I must take matters into my own hands. It's time to follow the practices of the neighboring godless people and give Hagar into the hands of my husband, Abram. So that wrong action then turns into a colossal mess, both between her and Hagar, between her and Abram, between Abram and Hagar and Ishmael, and then ultimately for generations between Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac. So one set of difficult circumstances becoming wrong thinking, becoming one wrong action, balloons into a generation of disaster. And this happens again and again in the scripture. We saw this last time with Eve. If you'll remember, Eve was tempted by the serpent if you'll recall, and that's a tempting circumstance, okay? That's the initial step, right? A tempting circumstance, a difficult situation. And she thinks then, looking at that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she looks over at it and she's like, well, 
It's pleasant to the eyes. It's good for food. It's good to make me wise. Okay, so that's some wrong thinking there because she's forgetting the commandment of God and she's looking at it only with humanistic eyes. She has some wrong thinking. And then that leads her to wrong actions, which is eating it and giving it to Adam to eat from. So temptation leading to this wrong set of thinking about a situation, which then leads her to wrong actions. And I bet if I challenged you, oh listener out there, you could give me a dozen other biblical examples. But in the interest of time, I'll give you only one more. In the Old Testament, King Saul was commanded by God to utterly destroy the Amalekites in 1 Samuel 15, as in all of them. God's commandment was clear. King Saul, I want you to utterly destroy the Amalekites. All right? And that was a hard thing to do. It's a difficult circumstance, okay? God gave him a hard command, do what I have told you to do, wipe them out, including everything they have, wipe them out. But then he sees, wow, there's a perfectly good set of sheep and things here. He's looking at it with, again, human eyes, and he starts thinking incorrectly. Well, I could hold these sheep over here, and there's a couple good things here, and I could spare this thing over here. And so he starts thinking incorrectly on the matter. And that incorrect thinking, then he kills only the worthless animals, and he keeps the best stuff, thus disobeying God's command. And he hangs out waiting for Samuel to show up. He doesn't obey God's command. These are the wrong actions. And in the end, Samuel deals pretty harshly with him. And he says, the the kingdom's going to be taken from you and given to another because you disobeyed God's command. So a difficult situation and the wrong thinking that can come from it then gives birth to wrong actions with some devastating consequences, both for Sarah and for Eve and for Saul. And we see it again and again in our own lives. There's a strong connection between our thinking and our actions. And look, this may seem very minor, but this just happened to me this week. It happens to all of us. We don't have to dig that deep, really, for examples. But this just happened to me this week. I was trying to reach someone very dear to me via text about something I needed to discuss. So I basically shot her a text and I said, hey, can I give you a call when you have a minute? I have something I need to talk to you about. And there was no answer to that text, which isn't like her. So I just figured she was busy. I gave it a couple of hours and I texted her later and I said, hey, you know, I know you're super busy. Let me know when we can connect. I have something I need to discuss with you. Still nothing. So I was like, hmm, that's kind of weird. So several days later, I sent another text and I and and I was just like, oh, I hope everything's all right. Just reaching out again. I uh, wanted to check in with you about something. Still no response. Now, I knew this was so very out of character that I figured something had to have happened to her phone. You know, maybe something was going on. But still, that unfortunate circumstance began to mess with my head, okay? And then I started to like, flip it around in my thinking. Is she mad about something? 
has someone started to say something? And listen, I've gone through some rough relationship stuff in my day, as you've heard me say here on the podcast, and my fair share of rough relationship stuff right here in Louisiana. So I have some PTSD along relationship lines. You know, I, I want to nip miscommunications in the bud. I want to talk directly about things. I let a circumstance begin to feed wrong thinking. And then I knew I was about to teach this study to y'all on this podcast. And I knew if I'm going to teach it, I better be sure to live it. So I circled back yet again via text and I said, hey, I am just going to try one more time and make sure there's nothing I've done to offend you. I want to make sure everything's okay. I humbly reached out one more time. And of course, there was this profuse apology. I'm so sorry. I don't know what happened to all of these texts. I hate it when this goes on. I'm so sorry. Of course, you didn't offend me. It was just a missed set of texts. And if I thought about it, which I do to people all the time, I miss texts all the time. It happens. It really does. But again, this is the human condition. Circumstances, going to wrong thinking, going to wrong actions. This is happening to Sarah here. She's exhausted at waiting for a decade. And she's like, God must be holding out on me. I must really ultimately be at issue here. And she's really not wrong because Abraham ultimately is the one that's able to have the child because he has a child with Hagar. So then she's like, of course, I'm the one that's at issue then because it's got to be me, right? So then she's probably even more in her head about it. But the issue is more that it's not God's timing. We might then quickly begin to think wrongly about God. God said, no, God's holding out. Why can't we just for a moment say God's timing is perfect? I will trust him. I will wait and more on that in a moment. But one person put it this way about our thought life, and I promise we're going to issue a podcast about taking our thoughts captive, about renewing our thinking, about Philippians 4.8, all of that's coming. But one person puts it this way, watch your thoughts, they become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. So those are important reminders just right here from the very first segment on what we're looking at from Sarah's life. But let's draw an important conclusion to this portion of the lesson. See, God does not specify to Abraham and Sarah when he was going to send the son to them. He simply said he was going to do it. My friends, have you grown weary in waiting on God for something? Are you getting tired of waiting? Maybe you're waiting for a spouse. Maybe you're waiting for a spouse to change. Maybe you're waiting for a child. Maybe you're waiting for a child to change. Maybe you're waiting for something in your physical body to change, your financial life to change, a relationship to change. What are you waiting on God for? And then a related question. In that waiting, are you started to become fearful? Are you having fearful or wrong thinking that is beginning to lead you into wrong action? 
are you ending up doing things in the waiting that is just wrong or dangerous or not God honoring? For example, are you getting into wrong relationships waiting for the right one? Are you getting into heavy, heavy, heavy debt, trying to relieve yourself of depression so you're shopping more than you should? What is it that we tend to do to fill the holes that exist while we're waiting? In Sarah's case, that wait created a colossal mess, as we've discussed. But perhaps it gets crystallized in what we're about to look at, okay? In Sarah's case, her wrong thinking, her disbelief, if you will, led her to even lie to God. Now, I'm not going to stay on Sarah's case. It looks like I'm on her case right now, but I promise I am going to show you how Sarah is a model example to us. It's coming, I promise. But turn with me to Genesis 18, Genesis 18, and we're going to read verses 10 through 15. Genesis 18, verses 10 through 15. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have the pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Okay, so first of all, Sarah here laughed at what God is saying. She flat out laughed. See, she believed so much about what her thinking, that it was impossible for a child to come after you're that old. You know, it's beyond scientific ability. It's beyond even what they knew at the ancient world at that time, what her own understanding, right? This is beyond her own understanding. She believed it so much that even what God was saying couldn't trump that. And listen, she's technically not wrong. She's 90, And Hagar, at this point, already has Ishmael. He's growing. He has a relationship with his father. And there is Sarah, still childless. So she's thinking it's pretty comical that she'll ever have a son at this point. But not only does Sarah laugh. See, when God's messengers are asking her or confronting her about the laughter here, she denies it. That's how powerful what we believe or our thought life or our acts of disbelief, that's how powerful they are. So powerful that we may even think we can lie to God about it. But look how good our God is. He doesn't rescind the promise to her and to Abraham. He doesn't punish her or punish Abraham. See, people love to say that there's no grace in the Old Testament. You know, the New Testament is about grace and the Old Testament is strictly about the law, but it's not so. Not only was his grace enough to do the impossible for Sarah, 
but it was enough to accept her human limitations and to forgive her unbelief and her even lying here. That's how great his grace is. See, listen to me. The fulfillment of God's promises to Sarah was not based on her perfection or Abraham's, and it's not based on ours either. Thank you, Jesus. See, God is faithful even when we're not, because he can't deny himself. And don't forget, it wasn't just Sarah who laughed. In Genesis chapter 17, like really right before this, Abraham does very much the same thing. When God reiterates his promise to Abraham about having a son, Genesis 17, 17 says that Abraham fell on his face and laughed. He said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? See, Abraham also laughs. And in both cases, God shows this grace. He doesn't punish them. He doesn't come down hard on them for their disbelief. He understands that what he's about to do is something only God can do, much like he did with Amy Carmichael there in India, much like he's doing in your life and in my life every single day if we slow down enough to pay attention. Take heart in this believer within the sound of my voice. We don't have to pretend to be something we're not before the Lord. We don't have to, oh, Heavenly Father, Thou art so, and like take on an affect and a voice and holiness and something that we're not before God. He knows who we are. He doesn't even let us get away with that stuff. He rather invites us to open transparency He didn't let Sarah get away with lying that she didn't laugh. He calls Adam and Eve out in the garden. He invites Cain into communion with him. Why does he do this? He wants us to be open and honest with him. And see, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. When we come to him and we confess all of that junk, he knows everything anyway. Why are you trying to hide? But that brings me back to the question that I began all of this with. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for him? Whatever you are facing right now as you listen to this podcast, fill in the blank, the relationship, the money, the job, the exam, the school, I can't even think of it. Whatever it is, fill in the blank. Is it too hard for the almighty God? My beloved, listen, we recently studied all the names of God here on Rinse and Repeat. And we learned that he is Jehovah Jireh, our provider, Jehovah Rapha, our healer, Nisi, our banner, Shalom, our peace, Ra, our shepherd, Shama, the Lord is there. He's Jehovah Shabaoth, the Lord of hosts, Mikadesh, the one who sanctifies us, and Sidkenu, the one who makes us righteous. 
He's Adonai, my very great Lord and Master. He's Yahweh, Lord Jehovah, El Elyon, the Lord Most High God, and El Roy, the God who sees. He's the one that saw Hagar. Elohim, the Creator God. He's El Shaddai, God Almighty. All of those names, every single name of God indicates that nothing is too impossible for Him. He transcends space, time, matter. Name a human limitation and God lives outside of it. He transcends it. He's beyond it. So let me ask you that question yet again. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And look, I invite you to an exercise. Take the names of God I just ran down with you, the ones you may have studied here on the podcast. And if you haven't studied them with me, and this is the first time you're listening, I invite you to back up on the podcast and listen to those episodes where we go through the names of God. And I invite you to this exercise, write down an example of how God has shown himself mighty along those character traits that fit with that name. Write down how God has shown himself to be your provider, Jehovah Jireh. Write down how God has shown himself to be your healer, Jehovah Rapha. And remember, God doesn't just heal us physically. He heals us emotionally. He heals us relationally. And he doesn't just heal us physically through supernatural means, though he can. He uses doctors. He uses a lot of things. Write down how he has led you like a shepherd does. This is honestly what I do when I'm preparing to teach Bible studies or retreats or even the podcast. I say, God, how does this apply to me? So take what I'm saying to you about what is impossible for the Lord. Is anything impossible? And ask yourself the question, how does that question apply to me? How have you shown yourself to be an almighty God that has nothing too hard, nothing too difficult, and journal it, write it down. Develop, if you will, this record, this sense of history for yourself of all of the things God has done in your life and watch your own faith journey grow as you take down those things. It will build your faith. And then the next time you're facing something that's seemingly impossible, you might just remember the last two, three, 12 things that seemed impossible that he got you through last time. I've exhorted you guys along these lines many times. And listen, maybe it's not just historical things God has brought you through that seemed impossible, but let's talk about something you might be standing in the middle of right now today, okay? It is just too much. Carol, my marriage is ending. Carol, I am very, very, very sick. Carol, my teenager is just, you do not know how bad it is with my teenager. Oh, yes, I do. Oh, yes, I do. But anyway. I want to challenge you again about being in the Word of God, but something God is reminding me of again and again when I get in those this is beyond me moments, which is probably every single day. At least it should be, if I'm being honest. I am taking my stuff the way Hezekiah did in 1 Kings 19. I don't know if you remember the story, but the king of Assyria, the enemies of God, basically came and was threatening 
God's people. And he was saying, I'm going to come and get you. You're a dead man. You're a dead man. And what does Hezekiah do? He takes all those threats and he doesn't try to take action and, and figure it out. He knows that the task is impossible for him, but he also knows it's not impossible for God. So he lays the letter of threat in front of the Lord. Right there in 1 Kings 19, you can read it. He puts the threatening letter before God and he says to God, Lord, I pray, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know you are the Lord God, you alone. That's the exhortation I'm taking from Sarah. Sarah is learning nothing is impossible for the Lord. God is challenging her with the rhetorical question. Is anything impossible for the Lord? Hezekiah learned. He asked the question of God and put the threats right there. And that's the good news of Sarah's story, y'all. And that's how I'm going to end the podcast. The good news is she may have had wrong thinking. She may have laughed in disbelief and even lied to God about it. But God takes all of that and he turns that laughter into the right kind of laughter, the joyful laughter after which she's even naming her son for it. Turn to Genesis 21. We're going to read this fast as we close. Genesis 21, verses 1 through 7. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Don't miss that. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. Notice, he did what he said he would do. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him, and Abraham called the name of his son whom God bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him, and Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear me, will laugh with me. And she also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, for I have borne him a son in his old age. The Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. And the faithless, rueful, disbelieving laughter turns into joyful laughter. The laughter of a child tearing through the tents and the pitter-patter of his little feet. This is what Sarah's faith, as we're going to learn next time, actually brings to bear. See, Sarah's story isn't just one of sometimes wrong belief and wrong thinking. No, hers is a walk of faith. Hers is a walk of obedience. Hers is a walk of submission. And that's my exhortation to all of us as we close this episode of Rinse and Repeat. Ask yourself, is anything too hard for the Lord? Thank you for joining me for this episode of Rinse and Repeat. Again, I'm Carol Iscaros. In our next episode, we're going to explore part two of 
our study on Sarah, and that's going to be on the beauty of obedience. The beauty of obedience from Sarah's life in our next episode here on Rinse and Repeat. And I have an exciting announcement that's been long time in coming. We have a website. You can come and visit us at caroliscaros.com. That's carol, E-S-K-A-R-O-S.com. Right now, thank you, Jesus. You can learn a little bit more about me, about the podcast, about the Bible reading plans on Bible.com or on the Bible app. You can also contact me through the website. Again, it's caroliscaros.com. There'll be plenty more features coming to the website. Eventually, we'll have YouTube videos published there, ultimately podcast videos instead of just audio. We will also have upcoming speaking engagements, how you can have me come out to speak at conferences and other things. More on that in the future. But in the meanwhile, if you've missed any of the podcast and you'd like to catch up, please feel free to just scroll down there on the podcast link through my website. Again, caroliscaros.com. The podcast is available through Anchor FM and really anywhere that publishes podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. You can start at the very beginning where you can hear my testimony. You can begin with the names of God. And after we finished the names of God, we began the women of the Bible with plenty of these lanyap editions, little messages here and there, things that are on my heart that I use as topical teachings along the way. I really do hope you enjoyed your time with me on this episode and that you'll join me next time for the beauty of obedience in Sarah's life on our next episode of Rinse and Repeat. Repeat.